Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome back. I'm here with Michael Pack, who's the writer, director and producer of Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. And we want to continue our conversation talking about Michael's career and his work as a filmmaker, uh, as a conservative filmmaker. Uh, Michael, you've had an incredible career really moving back and forth between mm -hmm. making documentaries and also working in public television. You've had a lot of different roles in public television. Can you tell us how that all came about? Well, I started my company way back in 1977, even though my wife now insists I, I, I don't include the, not the date, but still, that it's out there. Um, and I've made lots of documentaries. I think you said earlier, Bill, I've made over 15, um, broadcast all, all but one, broadcast on PBS and one on TLC, and it's been a, a privilege to do that. But every few years, I have taken also taken a job you know, running a nonprofit either in public television or another part of the nonprofit world, usually. You were, you were senior vice president for TV programming at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's right. I was there for three years, and um, I was lucky to be there during a time when they were very anxious to sort of expand their kind of programming, and especially were welcoming to conservatives, and part of my mission was to bring in conservatives. When and was that? I don't remember that part of... It was. It must be ancient history. <laughs> it was, 2003 to 2006. Okay. During the Bush years. Yeah. And um, we, I start, it was 2003, the memories of September 11th were fresh, and I started a, a series called America at the Crossroads that dealt with post-9-11 issues like terrorism and radical Islam and... Well, I, I, I like your I like your phrase. Uh, it was new media, innovative new media, designed to address the crisis of historical amnesia. Uh, that is the second thing I did there, which was a history and civics initiative that was targeted at middle and high school students. That's right; they don't know anything about American history, and, and this has only gotten worse. And we tried very hard to to try to utilize games and other things to try to reach people and teach kids and teach them about American history. And and in a way, oddly enough middle and high school students are kind of neglected by public broadcasting. Its main focus is on small children, Sesame Street, for example, and adults. But middle and high school students are important, and I think this problem of historical amnesia is really important. I mean, you can't be a good citizen if you don't know the can basics. You, can you still find the programs uh, online? Yeah, those are, you know, CPB start, funded those, where I was, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So some of those initiatives, they were usually done by stations. They're still up there and doing them, but they're not, I don't think it's findable, I don't think, at the CPB website, but some of the individual stations like Channel 13 in New York still have them up and working. Um, but I was also going to say about the first one, America to the Crossroads, the idea was to find a variety of political perspectives, and I, and I went out in search of conservative as well as liberal voices. I mean, I think it was still overwhelmingly left of center, but there were conservative voices that hadn't been heard on public broadcasting before. You know, people like, say, Richard Pearl talking about the war in Iraq. Hmm. Were you, you um, now, were you producing films while you were there, or was this just a, uh, you're back and forth? Back it? and forth. I took a hiatus from producing films. My wife, who you know well, is my business partner, and 
she ran the business, but we, we didn't really produce documentaries while I was at CPB, but she did other things in the company. Um, so uh, that's what I have generally done. I've taken a hiatus. As you say, said earlier, I, I ran the Claremont Institute for a while, and that was a great honor, too. And How did that come about? That was a tremendous... I was so happy for you when that happened, <laughs> and I was happy for them. Well, you know, they had... You know, they were looking for a new president. I knew all these people from Claremont. I had spent... My wife and I had spent four or five years in Hollywood, um, and this was, I think, the late 80s, early 90s, and we, at that time, and maybe even still, it's very hard to find a conservative in Hollywood. We had to meet everyone that was out there, like, say, David Horowitz and whoever else was there, and we met the Claremont people at that time, and they've been friends since. So they were looking for somebody and to come up with new ideas, and I was really privileged to do that for three years, and I, I feel I helped modernize the place. I started the first um, Claremont Review books, web ver digital version. I tried to move them you know, further forward. I opened up a DC office and expand their uh, Thank you for the digital version. I tend to be ripping <laughs> out all those articles. Now I can save it via... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they needed to be gently guided into the 21st century, and I, and I think the leadership that's there now has continued that process. So you were president of, of Claremont Institute and then VP. You, did, uh, you were also involved with the National Endowment for the Humanities and co-chair International TV Council Corporation for Public Broadcasting, uh, and on and on. Uh, and now you're nominated, and I hope it happens quite soon, to run the U.S. Agency for Global Media. I can't think of anybody with a better background uh, than you for that job. Well, thank you. I had been in international broadcasting once before. When I, we moved from California to here when I took this job running WorldNet, which is then part of the U.S. Information Agency. And, and, and now it's really part of the, it's really the television service of the Voice of America. So. And, and Voice America was then in the U.S. Information Agency. So I've had some international broadcasting experience as well as television experience. And I really think these international broadcasters like the Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Free Asia, et cetera, have an important role. I mean, we are, you know, we are in a, in a war of ideas. And, and our, our adversaries, yeah. like China, have ramped up their information and misinformation efforts and their propaganda efforts. And... We need to get our values out there as aggressively as we can. There was a feeling after the end of the Cold War that maybe we didn't need to do that anymore, but, but that impression was misguided. I mean, we have many enemies, and they see the world very differently, and we need to win the battle of ideas, and I think international broadcasting is a big part of that. Well, you've been engaged in the battle of ideas through your filmmaking, mm. and, and you know, you've done films, uh, the fall, uh, Rediscovering George Washington, God in the Inner City, mm -hmm. Uh, Hollywood versus religion with Michael Medved, uh, and my favorite as a CEO, Holly, I think it was one of your first ones, Hollywood's favorite heavy mm. businessman, primetime <laughs> TV. <laughs> yes, that is a great film. I, it was, uh, with, with Eli Wallach. He, he was great. He was on camera. He was really great. Um, and the, I, this was the heyday of TV shows like Dallas and Dynasty. Sure. But even since, the, so there was a lot of businessmen on TV, but always so. And they are always the villain. So, you know, why is that? I mean, Hollywood are fu is full of capitalists making money. Why is there this hostility to capitalism? So 
we went to Hollywood and talked to the people who made these shows to ask them why they picked businessmen as villains and what do they think of business and how do they come up with these shows. So it's more than an analysis, it's really an attempt to see how ideas emerge in, in network television. And I think it's an interesting show. It's, it, it, you cast a kind of light on that. You get a sense of how TV producers think and where this history of hostility to business comes from. I mean, I think it's relatively recent. I mean, you've had businessmen villains before, but usually there are also businessmen good guys in Hollywood movies. And Hollywood, in its, you know, in, in its heyday, in its golden years, was very patriotic and pro-American. It was dominated by uh, Jews from Eastern Europe who came to America and thought it was a great place and wanted to celebrate it. And there was that sense, so that even when a businessman was bad, there was a sense that the overall thing was good, that business was good, America was good, starting a small business, working for yourself was a great thing. And then I think it started to shift, you know, in the late 60s, and that documentary portrays I, 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 that I'm, shift. I'm an old film buff. There's a great movie called Dodsworth with Walter yeah. Houston, John yeah. Houston's father, about a businessman industrialist that sold his business and went off and to Europe and found he didn't <laughs> like the European values as That's much right. as he liked building businesses. That's right. And the, and the, and the moral of the story was he, uh, but quite the happy ending was he went off to form a new company with mm -hmm. his new girlfriend or, or something like that. That wouldn't be made today. Well, that's right. It would not. <laughs> there would be assumption that he's an evil guy. So, so, so in the documentary world, though, you've, you've written some interesting things about how documentaries have become almost the exclusive playground of the left. Why is that? Well, that's right. I wrote an op-ed that was in The Federalist a few years ago on this. And I'm really concerned about that. I mean, it's not really good for an in a ideas industry like that to be dominated by one point of view. And I think that has come to be, come to be so. Um, I, think there are, I think that one of the reasons is the left, sort of broadly considered, is way more serious about culture. They care about culture. They show up for it. They spend their money on it. They invest in it. And, an, and another very big factor, I think, is uh, film schools around the country. Every university has a film school. And like universities, um, other many other departments in universities, they have become very left-wing. And they inculcate those sort of values in their students. And they graduate thousands of students every year. Only a small number have talent and stay in the business. But those talented filmmakers make a very big difference. And, and then. And then beyond that, the left continues to create institutions to nourish their filmmakers. You know, film festivals like the Sundance Film Festival and companies like Participant that are socially conscious in a particular way. And yeah, what's the Participant business model? They uh, fund films and they fund this sort of social action component of films. And they look for films, not just that will make money, but that fulfill the political ideals of their founders. And, Personally, I see nothing wrong with that. I do not mean to demonize it. I think well, you have to salute people who are pu putting their money behind their ideas. It's, it's just we conservatives that but, need to do that but, more. But the left understands culture. Yeah. And the other thing that we all need to understand is documentaries typically don't make money. That's right. And so you have, to find, you have to go out and find, you've got to create a nonprofit. You find people to donate to make, That's make right. these movies, which don't make money. The left understands that. Participant does that. You see That's donor right. dollars, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars going into this. On the right, not so much. Well, that's right. And, and I think that is really a shame. 
That's right. You have on the left people who made maybe billions in Silicon Valley, and they think they'll spend a few hundred million making the world better through making films that reflect views that they think will make it better. But we don't have that. And so I, I, just to say, I, I think that they're, it's their right to do that. This is a free country. You can make the films and institutions that you want. And I, I appeal to people on, uh, uh, more conservative, as you and I are, Bill, to, to, to do similar things. It so, is not too late. There's a sort of defeatism on the right, too, in, in this and in many other issues. They feel all these things are just now owned by the left, and there's little you can do. And you often hear that about universities as well. But I think that's simply crazy. You know, politics is a matter of a struggle, and you have to fight for the ideas that you believe in. Well, if you look at documentaries, so the, what was it, Al Gore's movies have had yeah. an incredible, incredible. Po political impact. Uh, Michael Moore's movie, incredible yeah. political impact. I'm hard-pressed to think of movies on our side that have the same impact, except for this movie that just came out about Clarence Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> which I hope has equal impact, but it's, what about the documentary world versus the feature film versus the TV world, which are also the exclusive playground of the left? Yeah, that's true. Do you think documentaries can break through to make a bigger impact than, uh, than entertainment, filmed entertainment? No, I, I think entertainment does make a bigger impact. I yeah. mean, in my own case, um, when I started my company, we originally wanted to make feature films, and we still have, like many people on this business, feature film scripts and ideas. I stuck with documentaries because I could control them and I could make films that I like and believe in. Once you make, or in the Hollywood system, as you well know, Bill, you are stuck with other people's ideas and other people who have a final edit or control, and then the film ah, drifts. Final cut. <laughs> <laughs> and in the case of Hollywood, the, the political drift is always in one direction. So, Well, it's an underground you're an underground community if you're a conservative in Hollywood. Indeed you are. I mean, it, you know, I, I produced a couple of films, and we had something mm. called the Friends of Abe. I don't know if it's still around, but it was this yeah. place where conservatives yeah. would go to, to uh, um, I guess it was sort of a support group <laughs> among people who believe that way. But if it let it out that you were conservative, you probably wouldn't get a lot of work. Well, that's right. You wouldn't. So it's, and we, I remember that from my own days in Hollywood, too. So even if you do get work, you know, you're in a situation where you have to hide your views from everybody else, whereas I want to be in a position where I can make films that reflect my views. And in terms of created equal, like I had the freedom to make it the way I thought was right. And I feel, in the case of that film, I promised Justice Thomas that it would be true to what he said and believed. And I don't think I could do that if I were working for, say, 60 Minutes, you know, or any other mm -hmm. network-controlled um, television program or documentary. So that's the reason, I, well, that's what drew me to documentaries originally, but I actually feel feature films are, and television are way more powerful. And I think to go back to the international broadcasting question, they're one of the reasons that people all over the world are getting a different view of America than they once had. When Hollywood movies were so pro-American during their golden years, they spread the idea as America is a great place, as a land of opportunity. John Wayne, a symbol of American individualism. And everyone wanted to be like that. And Hollywood movies presenting a sort of dystopian view of America is not a good thing for um, spreading our ideas and values all over the world. I think I see somebody who would be an excellent candidate to run <laughs> the US Agency for Global Media. <laughs> 
And we ought to leave it at that. Uh, Next time I talk with you, you will be in that job, <laughs> and uh, we'll all be it, benefiting and, uh, and, uh, and, and getting the right ideas out there on behalf of America. Mm. Michael Pack, thank you very much. This has been fascinating, and uh, we hope to have you back again and tell some stories about how you've helped change uh, perception <laughs> of America around the world. Anytime. So thank you. Thank you, Bill. And thanks for joining us on the after show. Uh, we'll see you back soon. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, hopefully come up with something equally interesting that we did this time. Michael, thank you. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes.